Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources with Lloyd Matheson. Despite all the challenges of the pandemic, Americans enjoy the highest standard of living ever. We should remember that. And yet it seems like we are constantly at each other's throats over politics. Why is that? And what is a better way to engage in debate and meaningful conversations? Really pleased to have joining us back on the program, Rick Larson. He is the CEO of the Sutherland Institute, think tank advocating for principled public policy that promotes the values of faith, family, and free markets. Rick, thanks for joining us today. It's a pleasure, Boyd. Thanks for hosting me. Uh, this this is the bright spot of the day today, <laughs> where we can have a, <laughs> an elevated conversation about uh, something that, as uh, you wrote a, a brilliant piece for Deseret.com, uh, talking about polarization, preventing healthy debate and learning. And uh, from, from your perch there at Sutherland Institute, uh, what is it that you're seeing? What is it that concerns you the most? Um, I do enjoy this moment, Boyd, because we can talk, we can exchange ideas, and that's what's missing. The working title of that op-ed, you may find it interesting, was Love and Secession, because somehow we found a midpoint between love and secession in this nation. And it has to do with the rate at which we're losing respect and regard for each other. It's actually a measured phenomenon called effective polarization, if you're familiar with that. Yeah. Yeah. And as you as you look at that, uh, that effective polarization does. Uh, cause us to look at things through a certain lens, a a political lens, a negative political lens, uh, to be specific. And and I think so many of us have even found ourselves in that space of we see something, we read something, we see a headline, we we hear a voice, uh, and we're immediately in a defensive crouch uh, looking at it as, uh uh-oh, I've got to defend or protect something rather than actually being curious and listening about something. Exactly. In fact, the the challenge here, and this to all of us, is if your first reaction to an issue, whether it's race, immigration, crime, climate change, whatever it is, if your first reaction is political and positioning, you may not be open to any other point of view. Because with that political reaction, then all we have to do is go to our cable news channel of choice, and everything we fear or believe is reinforced, and Consistent with effective polarization, when we now look across the aisle, those people look even more different than we do um, and even less important, sadly, the way the way it's playing out in today's politics. Yeah. And I think it's so vital that in all of these things, if we uh, if we resist the urge to to go politics first and political lens as our perspective, uh, then we act. Then we can come to the table, regardless of the issue or or the forum or the format, whether that's online or in person, whatever it may be. That we can come to the table with curiosity rather than coming to the table with judgment, uh, even sometimes preemptive judgment of what someone else might actually say. Well, it's, uh, and boy, I'm I'm certain. Well, I won't be certain. I'll, I'll ask you because I've heard this, and I'm going to bet you have too. Anyone who's been around any members of Congress for any period of time have heard them say in private, unguarded moments, 
Oh, yeah. You know, we could actually solve immigration if it, if it weren't for the partisan divide, or we could make steps towards reasonable uh, climate policy if it weren't for the deep partisan divide. And when you hear that, you should be a little frustrated and a little angry because what that's saying is representatives are admitting if it weren't for the party position I have to defend, we could probably sit down and solve or at least make serious progress on some of these most important issues. Yeah. And uh, in fact, we said that just yesterday down in Arizona, uh, they put forward a, a new bill down there that's looking to balance uh, the rights of the LGBTQ com- community and the religious faith community. And it was a fascinating collection of people that included uh, polit- politicians from both sides of the aisle, including the Speaker of the House, the business community, the LGBT community, and the faith community. And it was so interesting. One of the things that the uh, the Democratic uh, co-sponsor of the bill, uh, Representative Shaw, said that everyone told him, you can't get this done because – the other, both sides are raising too much money off it. It's it's impossible to do it because of the political special interests as opposed to the interests of what's actually best for the community. Well, that, that makes so much sense to me because anytime an elected official steps forward and tries to break down the false dichotomies, there's a lot of pushback. And, <laughs> and, it's, and it's pushback from the base. It's pushback from a fundraising standpoint. And the problem with that is, if our if in our political landscape, if we lose all respect for each other, that is the enemy of good public policy because we've removed any opportunity to debate. And when you see good policy emerge in Arizona, you think good for them, but then you you're we're almost conditioned to say somebody's going to pay a political price for that. Yeah. Isn't that unfortunate? Yeah, it is. And uh, you got to the the right solution. It's uh, one our our friend Arthur Brooks has has come to on a number of occasions. That, that love is actually the answer, and not in a Pollyanna glasses that are rose-colored or half-full, uh, but in a real genuine way, it actually is the answer, isn't it? Well, there's a, a behavioral science basis for this, because as Arthur talks about and writes about, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is fear. And if we come to fears, uh, hates the byproduct of that fear. And if the thing we fear the most are people whose opinion is different than ours, well, then the first reaction to fear is to escape the threat, right? Right. And if the threat is other people, that's the definition of secession. That's how we jump to this almost absurd uh, conversation about, well, is it time to just divide the country? Yeah. And that uh, obviously we, we know uh, all the way back to Lincoln. <laughs> That is that is not the answer that we're looking for in this country. No, and no. Oh, go ahead, Rick. And, and anyone who thinks secession is a good idea, I would urge you to sit down and think about the policy implications, the economic, military, foreign policy, all of the things that, that would mean. Um, that's a very short-sighted, reactionary um, idea of a solution. Yeah, absolutely. Rick Larson's the CEO of Sutherland Institute, and I always appreciate your perspective, Rick. And I, I love that you concluded your uh, op-ed at Deseret.com with Lincoln's words, uh, secession would prove for all time to both future Americans and to the world that a government of the people could not survive. And it really is up to all of us to make sure that secession doesn't happen and that we do prove to the world that it can not only survive, but it can actually thrive. Rick Larson, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Boyd. 
We're going to step aside for bottom of the hour news and a great discussion there with Rick Larson, as always. Uh, we can do this better, folks, and we need to do this better. Uh, the future of the country depends on it, so let's do our part today. Stay with us. Much more to come on Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.